to season one of Bristlecone Firesides, casual conversation around a virtual fireside about faith, the earth, the universe, and everything. In this first season, we will be exploring foundational themes of a spiritual practice rooted in the earth. We are your hosts, Abby and Madison. Join us as we strive to re-enchant the natural world with an ecologically-based spirituality that is centered in sacred texts, rooted in the earth, and lived through activist issues facing us today. Yeah, so, you know, if we were imagine ourselves around, a, you know, a, a, a fireside out in the desert somewhere, that's kind of... But we're not burning bristlecone wood. Yeah, we're definitely not burning bristlecone, <laughs> bristlecone wood. That would be a travesty. <laughs> so for today's episode, uh, we are talking about the incarnational worldview. Um, in other circles, this might be known as the universal Christ, the cosmic Christ, or within LDS circles, this could be known as the light of Christ. Um so as a, as a word of warning to our uh, audience that this is going to be a pretty theologically heady conversation, um, but I think it is incredibly um, an incredibly important topic because I think it serves as the foundation. I know for me, it kind of serves as the foundation for how I think about the natural world, how I interact with, with other people, and it is a complete reframing of how I envision myself as a member of the community of not just the community of people, but the community of earth and the community of the universe. Um, so, and it will be obvious as we are going through the conversation, um, why this way of holding the world and viewing the world is important for earth stewardship and general spiritual earthiness. Um, and so uh, there was, uh, no one I wanted to have this conversation with more than Dan Weatherspoon. So joining us today is probably the most prolific podcaster in Mormonism, uh, Dan Weatherspoon. <laughs> <laughs> Not even close, but I have, I have been doing it for, it'll be 10 years next next March. Oh, wow. Um, so yeah. Dan, I, I specifically wanted to have you on because, uh, and I, you may know this, but, um, you, your work with Mormon matters, uh, was, you know, a pillar in my own faith journey that if there was a museum to Madison's faith journey, uh, there would be a wing dedicated to all the countless hours I sunk into Mormon matters going through the, the backlog. Um, and so I am, I am absolutely stoked to have you on a podcast today. It's, you know, kind of a, you know, a dream come true in some ways. Uh, so, uh, beyond that, um, uh, Dan, do you want to give yourself just a little bit of an intro to who you are and what brings you to this conversation? Yeah, sure. <clears throat> I want to say besides being heady, I also want us to get into like direct experience, Yes, you know, absolutely. those kinds of things, the nature mysticism and whatnot. Um, so we won't be all, all heady, but I certainly in my academic life, I studied quite a bit and uh, actually wrote a dissertation on Mormonism and uh, a sustainable world. And I, I, I worked on two concepts that I think are dead there, right there in Mormonism, and that was uh, the radical interconnectedness of all things. And, you know, we go through Section 88 of the DNC and things for that and other places. And then also um, the intrinsic value of all things. And so if we get into incarnational ideas here, um, that certainly is a piece, not the whole piece, but uh, you could kind of get to it through, uh, through science-y external, you know, storytelling. So yeah, I, 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 I fell in love with the subject 
before I ever really thought about how little time I spend in nature. <laughs> and and uh, it's certainly not by design. It It's just, uh, I don't know. It just hasn't been a priority. I never grew up camping or hiking or anything like that. I had a blind father. And so any of that stuff was be just too out of the realm for my mom to probably manage when we were <laughs> all kids and things. And, you know, I did Boy Scouts, but I just never took to it. Um, so you right. know, I got all the fun merit badges, but none of the nature ones. I don't think. Anyway, the nature so, uh, ones I, were I, the fun merit badges. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> mine were mine were the swimming and water skiing, oh, right. yeah, yeah. and also the ones that you could do in one night when they have a speaker come and teach you fingerprinting and things. Yeah. <laughs> so I did those kind of ones. So uh, yeah, no, but I love the subject. And now that I've moved more into a mystical, contemplative mode. Uh, for my work, and I switched from Mormon Matters to a, a podcast called Latter Day Faith, which we we're, we're somewhere around eighty episodes now. Big fan, and, and yeah. we are uh, we are kind of focusing more on having direct experience that can sort of, you know, just fundamentally shape you and change you, so that you cannot, with good conscience, ever again just say, well, I got emotional there. And I guess it was just my brain doing this and that and all the, all the various, you know, things that come with emotional stuff. There is a fundamental difference between a, a kind of a mystical uh, connection and, and just that melding um, sort of stuff. So, uh, so through direct experience on all things, it seems easier for me and I and the, I'm betting that it's easier for others to handle the sort of weird stuff in Mormonism that happens day to day. Absolutely, you know, the stuff the stuff that you know the institution does. You know, because org organizations are going to org, right? Yeah, and we're you know it's not always for us the messaging and all that stuff. And then also with people around you, you know, when you're sort of filled with with that perspective, and it's and it's not even a perspective like that's. I mean, it becomes in your head and your mind and all that stuff too, but it's based on like this background of, of spirit and things. And it just makes things a lot easier in Mormonism. So that was too long, but that no, was, that's, that was great. Oh, that was perfect. Uh, <laughs> and we definitely are big fans of the mystical uh, experience because, so we had Catherine Knight Sontag on uh, to talk about kind of the end times and, and uh, you know, the millennium and building Zion. And our conversation took a huge um, turn towards mysticism uh, and kind of contemplation in ways that I wasn't anticipating. And so I was really excited about that. So I am um, a big fan of, of taking a turn towards uh, the mystical. <laughs> cool. But we can definitely do the big picture, yeah. you know, kind of overview of various concepts and things that kind of play into a, right. a, a humanitarian slash, um, you know. I think the fun thing about this podcast is, is, you know, the ability to allow it to take us where it takes us as opposed to, you know, simply just sitting back and adhering to an outline or or some kind of strict conversation. And that's what I enjoy most about it. And hopefully, you know, you do too. (laughs) 
Um, I do have the outline. We're going to use it. <laughs> yeah. At least the topics I'm kind of, at least I've done some thinking this afternoon and whatnot about oh, approaches. Good. Yeah, so. definitely. You guys drive. What do you want to do? <laughs> well, let's jump in and talk about the incarnational universe um, with kind of an overview of it, perhaps. And um, maybe just, uh, you know, from that big picture perspective, um, talking about what our worldview is and, and you know, what is the worldview that we typically inhabit, you know, without actually seeing it, without that kind of tangibility of, of the mm -hmm. senses and that's in that way. Okay, so interrupt me if I start to go in the wrong directions <laughs> here. But, you know, the, the term incarnation in Christianity generally means that God incarnated as a human being, you know, experienced uh, this life that way, uh, transcended it, I think, through his perspectives and whatnot, and then, you know, raised from the dead and all those kinds of things. And so there's a Jesus of Nazareth, and then there's like a lot of scholars or theologians, I, I don't know, for a long, long time, but it seems like more now. But there's also this idea of the Christ being a name for that incarnation of God in and through all things. So, you know, Section 88, we could talk about a little bit more and things right. like that if you want yeah, to. Yeah, we'll jump into that. So, so you know, whereas like... Um, it's interesting because I've been, I just finished a two-year program in Miss with um, the Living School with Father Richard Rohr. And I am James unbelievably Bindi. jealous. Wow. Well, here, I'll write, I'll write your recommendation. <laughs> oh my so gosh. You want to do be, it. So, um, no, it's, it, it was wonderful. But I, as a Mormon, I had this, like, how do I get past this Trinitarian language and see what they're really talking about there? And, uh, and slowly but surely, I kind of caught on that, you know, there's, there's all these things that, um, that a creator or a, go a God to be a God would have to do. And so these three things are named the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. And so that God is the creator. Uh, the Father is the creator. The Son is the, is the God that you know, is in and through all things. And the spirit is sort of um, a way of communicate, you know, the com communicative um, and, and, you know, I don't know if the, the stuff that, to me, you almost can get there with just the incarnation alone, right. but, but, but at least in this theology um, that we do. And so a lot of times it'll be called the cosmic Christ. Yeah. Um, that's a term that people will say, but it is this fundamental idea that all of nature, you know, all of the rocks and well, let's go. It's all the subatomic particles, you know, on up uh, in complexity are somehow infused with God. And a long time ago, there, the more popular way of talking about it was pantheism. Right. And that kind of came from animism and sort of uh, certain, you know, uh, cultures that, you know, the earth was live, you know, and you get Francis with brother son and sister moon is yeah, I yeah guess, I whatever right. you know and all those kinds of things and it was like all is god but then you know as the other theologians came along and says you can't make everything god 
but you can say God is in everything, and yet God, there's a transcendent element as well. And so the, the word that I adopted for this perspective of an incarnational theology is panentheism. Right. So instead God of in all, all, all as God, then it's God in all things. Yeah. Right. And, and so that's a word that can scare, scare people, but it's, I wanted to point out, it's not the same as panpsychism. Right. So um, a lot of people, in fact, I did a, quite a bit in my dissertation to sort of, yeah. what, what would a pan, a panentheistic and a pan experiential kind of world of the, the bottom up kind of stuff, what would it look like? What would it be like? And it's definitely not panpsychism because we're not saying that everything in the universe has acquired consciousness or a sense of selfness. Right. You know, through the complexity or the simplicity of their, of their um, you know, developmental levels, what, you know, you know, what's come together to make them them uh, is not always you know, right. self-conscious, of course, <laughs> things like that. Uh, I, but, I think, but, yeah. No, were you going to continue? I was just going to say that, but the, but all elements can react is right. kind of the point. There's um, some kind of, there's some kind of agency inside of all things. Yeah. Like to, to respond or to not respond. But yeah. I, I, I wrote a piece called reaching, calling, hungry, thirsty. And it was like, uh, you know, exploring Abrahamic, Abrahamic creation. And it was about like, it's got to be at that elemental level of hunger. You hunger for something. You hunger for, for more pattern. You, uh, you hunger for more complexity. Right. You know, you thirst for it. And so I, I kind of got into some, you know, the universe story by Brian Swim and, and Thomas Berry. I found some neat things oh, in, yeah. in um, uh, the, the writings of... Uh, Gary, uh, excuse me. Okay. I found some neat things in the writings of Gary Snyder. Right. And I also found things from a beautiful element of the second book in the Enders game series called Speaker <laughs> for the Dead, in which a, 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 a creature that's very hive mind oriented talks, talks about how these more basic elements can respond. Right. And, and, and kind of raise up to say, I will take on that pattern or whatever. So I, right. so I, there's a lot of things there, but it just don't make everyone doesn't need to think that every element is thinking. Right. There's just some, some kind of experience and capacity for growth inside of all things. Where at least this kind of lit up for me was when I, I, was reading The Universal Christ by Richard Rohr. Um, and uh, he's got, you know, he, he starts the book off. Oh, you've got it right there. Yeah, I yeah. almost brought mine. Um, <laughs> but, uh, it, you know, I think his first chapter is Christ is not Jesus's last name. Right. And, you know, that's that's almost such an obvious thing to to realize that it's like, well, no wonder we, we don't ever see that because uh, it's, it's so obvious that it's just something we never think about. Um, so can we... 
I want to, I want to be sure that we tease out, you know, the, uh, kind of what essentially we're talking about when we're talking about Christness, quote unquote, right. Um, that I think typically we kind of stop short in our understanding of the Messiah. Um, cause that's what, that's what, uh, Christ is a translation of. It's a trans, yeah, it's a Greek translation yeah. of Messiah. Right. Mm-hmm. So I think within the Mormon tradition, I think we typically, um, stop short as just understanding Messiah as King or savior. Um, yeah. But and we bring in the whole Hebrew Bible exactly. Old Testament stuff to 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 say that it was hinting at this right this Jesus the whole but time. uh but I think theologically Christ you know the term Christ and Messiah is just so much more theologically robust. Um, so what can, especially considering John's gospel, um, you know, uh, when he talks about the, the word, what the word, God was the word and the word was, and the, the word was light. Um, what is a more robust understanding of Christ, especially if we consider, you know, other Greek, um, terms like logos, um, that are just kind of in the universe. So I know we kind of teased that a little bit at the beginning, but I want to be sure that, you know, we, uh, we really cement, uh, you know, kind of the, how Christ is different than Jesus and ultimately what Jesus has to do with the Christ. Right. Okay. Uh, let's go. <laughs> Sorry. That was huge. So, so, um, you know, John one is a very, very, you know, John one in the first 14 verses. Well, you know, actually kind of, yeah, the first 14 verses, there is a little bit in there where it starts talking about John the Baptist as the, you know, the person that was not the light and all that stuff. But, but um, there's definitely a way of reading. Well, first of all, it's so different than the rest that a lot of scholars think it was a poem or, a, or some kind of um, song, you know, sort of thing that was circulating in the church. And so I actually took a New Testament class with um, a guy named uh, Burton Mack, who's a famous New Testament scholar. And we actually clapped out in rhythm the Greek you know, to kind of show that it was. So it's, it's these little couplets and these little things, and it all has this really kind of neat beat to it. <laughs> and uh, and so when you're, when you're in that sort of thing, you know you're dealing with symbolism. You know that this isn't like a literal, this stuff. This is a poetic, you know, kind of statement about, you know, God is... God is here in the world, you know, kind of stuff through, through the light that, you know, that shines through. And even though the dark darkness doesn't always understand it, it's there. It, it wins through, especially if you, you know, allow it to win through in your life and not be so focused on literal and, um, oh, no, if I think outside that, I'm sinning or something right. along those lines. And so you have to really uh, get into that mode. So, you know, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God. Um, the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Isn't that how it starts? Um, uh, and then uh, the true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world and the world made, was made through him. The world didn't rec- Hello, never mind. <laughs> and then the, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. Something I was think I was reading from a new international version or something, like <laughs> but it's real, it's close enough to King James. And I like the concept of light. Um, 
for its metaphorical significance in terms of, you know, like the light coming on for the, our understanding. You get all this stuff in, in, in DNC 88 as well as some pieces in DNC 93. Um, back to what we were talking about, pan-experientialism or panentheism, you've got the great stuff, um, you know, joy in the measure of their creation, that this right. is God's thing, that everything that exists. Well, and especially if you connect uh, it to uh, like the book of Abraham, where, um, you, you know, the writing is talking about intelligences, that all things are are intelligent, you know, and that's a, that's a loaded term that, you know, yeah. can mean a lot of things. But yeah. I really enjoy thinking, you know, when I, when I think of this, this light in a much more, you know, not a physical manifestation like yeah. starlight is, yeah. is it's the capacity of all things to like uh, have some kind of not just experience, but also there's an intelligence or an understanding in inside yeah. of all things. And I mean, it sounds super duper hippie weird, no. but it's, but no. it's right there in our scriptures. <laughs> yeah. Uh, in the last chapter of my dissertation there, I worked with a guy named, uh, I was talking about a, a physicist named David Bohm. And then he wrote a book quite a bit later, but it almost, it described almost like the joy that the leaf would feel. Mm. You know, with the sunlight, you know, it, it was like, I, it's real poetic. I wish I would have thought to find it in my dissertation beforehand, but it was just like this joy in all things. It's, it's the joyful to be connected and, you know, and con, uh, complexity is connecting with more and sort of self-organizing and whatnot. And so, um, you know, Abraham creation is self-organizing and the gods, you know, kind of presented you know, here it is. Yonder is matter unorganized. Let's let's call it into existence, and and it's gonna. It matter was doing its own thing, and it was good. What it came up with. So back to your original question um, with Jesus and this Christ. Jesus is a man. Well, Jesus is the figure who was who was born in Nazareth. You know, who had this thirty. Well, he, a three-year ministry, died approximately the age of 33. And, uh, you know, then the theology goes, he was ascended to heaven. And because of that, we can also be resurrected. And Mormonism, right. you know, does a lot of things with, you know, kind of a, a mechanical sort of feeling to the atonement versus the atonement, the at-one-ment that you can experience for yourself through the connectedness with nature, through the, the connectedness in your family and, and those. You know, Thomas Merton had the famous experience where he's downtown Louisville. And all of a sudden, oh, I see Abigail yeah. <laughs> smiling. <laughs> but all of a sudden, he loved everybody, you know? And it just, so those are the kinds of things that are bigger, you know, than the individual person. And so at least in my theology, I, um, it is that Jesus, there's that idea of kenosis that, you know, whatever God is, God said, I'm, I'm, I'm with everything and I'm, I'm coming down and, and well, I'm, I'm all basically I'll say I'm with everything. And then, um, he didn't think anything of it because there was no, to, to this God figure that it talks about in Colossians, there was no, um, it's no big deal because coming into, you know, physical form or whatever in this, in this person and walking and getting dirty. And, you know, we got to remember, it wasn't just these stories. He was a regular human being, you know, doing 
regular human being stuff. I, I took a course in medieval theology and they were trying to make sure that you knew that he never went to the bathroom and, and things like that because, you know, he, he ate the perfect amount of food that every thing was, you know, it was oh all these gosh. things. So, you know, I, I have a very alive person, but it is a person that is in full alignment with this perspective of all things, all people, everything um, being connected and, and, you know, it's united. And so they come up with the word love for that. And it's a, it's the best word I think for it, but it can be all can be made silly and non and, you know, without any real meaning, unless you've, you know, kind of put it this yeah. way. Can be, oh, he loved everybody. No, uh, it's a perspective that he was able to live into and then to invite everyone else into. He's constantly inviting them into the kingdom of heaven, into the kingdom of God. He's saying, these are these things and it's in you and all that stuff. And so he's more of a, of a teacher, guru. You know, there is this rabbi-student relationship and and clearly, but what it means is actually that phrase um, put on the my yoke is easy. When you follow a, when you follow a, a rabbi, it was called you take on that rabbi's yoke, and it was like you do this, you do the things that I'm doing, and you'll find you know these marvelous, expansive kinds of things unfolding for you. And so I think that's the fundamental thing in life because then if you have this connection and you feel it, not just, and I don't mean feel it, oh, it feels so fun and good. <laughs> I mean, like you really have experienced it. That is like back, backlighting to our whole front world. So, you know, Jesus was, because he had this constant, you know, consciousness of both what's happening in front of him and what's, you know, behind it all, there he was able to handle the situations with grace and forgiveness and you know all the all the different things of life that you know weren't preferred but they but they happen anyway you know i still want to kind of tease out the complexity of or at least you know you know, uh, make sure to point to the, the complexity of, of the figure of Jesus, right? That, um, that, you know, we, we've been talking about Jesus as though he's just, you know, a man or a figure or whatever, but I want to, I want to make sure that we hold some space for Jesus also being, you know, the son of God that, you know, just because he's in perfect alignment with these, you know, quote unquote, Christ principles that on some level, like I want to be able to hold this space for maybe there was something really unique going on with the figure of Jesus. <laughs> yeah, no. And certainly in Mormonism, you can do that in a much more, um, I don't know what's the best way, a more subtle way right. of understanding that, you know, again, you don't have to believe in a virgin birth or, you know, all those kinds of things that Mary was the immaculate conception. Therefore she, you know, wouldn't, uh, you know, the, the humanness of her wouldn't, you know, mess right. with you know, God, the God of Jesus who, who's in Jesus and things. But uh, we certainly don't want to say that he's not unique. But I do want to emphasize that our teaching is that we're his brothers and sisters. Absolutely. You know? He's our elder brother and whatnot. And so we're not of a different class of being. And if Jesus was indeed the 
elder brother and the chosen one and all that, perhaps what happened in him was he more easily was able to recover and and recognize that deeper truth of of the whole plan and his role and all those kinds of things than than a regular person. But on the other hand, the fundamental mystical truth that people discover is that we are all eternal. We're all perfect. And, you know, we all have this godliness, but we've just covered it over with stories and thoughts and, and mistakes we've made, sorrows, injuries we've received, and the story that we tell about ourselves. And Wounds here's and my public yeah. face and all that. So, so it, you know, it's all these things that are covering over that divineness that we are. Right. And so everybody from the Gnostics to, you know, the Eastern religions and everybody else, and even like the, um, the uh, Kabbalistic stuff and Tikam Elam, Tikam Elam, Elam Tikam. Anyway, the the idea that we're that we're all divine sparks that get shattered, and the whole right. the whole process of God is to bring us back to At that one us all mm-hmm. to bring so, us all back together. So yeah, I don't want to I don't want to like challenge the theology, but yeah. I don't want there. It can't be so different from me that I could say I can follow that. That's yes. why I. That's like I. Why I want to keep it as low Christology as you can. Yes. And I don't know if okay. you guys know the term high oh, yeah, or low. Yeah. 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 So a low Christology, but always open to you know something far more profound than perhaps I'm thinking about it when I try to sit at, at Jesus's feet, sit in the experience of the cosmic Christ, and all those kinds of things. I, I, I certainly allow that more is going on there right. because of Jesus being who he was. But um, yeah, so no, I don't want to, I don't want to scare any Latter-day Saints away <laughs> by, by like making it sound like I'm not sure, but I really think there's a difference between a guide and a savior. And, no, you know, in my agree. own podcast, I'm going to have the Givens is on Terrell and Fiona <gasps> Givens Hooray. and they are, and they are, you know, big about Christ as healer, Yes. Mm-hmm. you know, rather than Christ as savior. And so all those languages of like, he's so different and we're so poor in spirit. Well, I don't want to confuse the Beatitudes there, but we're just this poor, lonely things that you need a savior to come down and, you know, do it versus a savior that reveals your own divine nature through the way he lived in the way that our spirits kind of recognize and connect with right. those sorts of teachings. Yeah, no, I I have a lot of thoughts. Abby, do you have anything you want to say? Well, yeah, I think just drawing back on something you said earlier that that the atonement, you know, that that process of atonement um, is probably helpful in understanding that a little bit better, um, and that kind of distinction between God as Savior versus God as Healer, or um, or excuse me, Christ as savior, Christ as healer, um, is this idea of love. I've never connected, you know, the atonement with, um, kind of an overarching theme of love, even though I recognize that, you know, Christ exemplifies that, that sense of love, um, that we want to emulate, but this idea of kind of love and and the atonement is what connects all of us um and that that's going to be kind of that that healing aspect of being able to come back together again at one meant you know this this um you know ultimate manifestation of love um and that mm-hmm. and that that's you know how we can better understand Christ 
perhaps, again, not as a savior who's coming down, but as one who extends outward. Or as, mm-hmm. as Richard Rohr likes to say, is, is emerging out from. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, no. So I, uh, the, you know, the, the idea of at one mint, um, has been a, uh, an idea, th- a theme that goes throughout the, you know, the entire, every episode that we've recorded, because fundamentally I, you know, the problem of the world is disconnection. You know, we're disconnected from each other. We're disconnected from the earth. Um, and that disconnection from is, our own bodies. Yeah. Right. From our own bodies. Exactly. Like me, sure. <laughs> you know, trying to do better. We all are. <laughs> Aren't we all? <laughs> yeah. Um, but the, the the solution to disconnection is is at one mint. It's atonement, right? It's not necessarily that I have, you know, these these problems that or these sins need to be forgiven. Not, I mean, not that that's not a part of it, but it's ultimately I need to be brought back into relationship with all things, and in a really in and not just kind of a in an ideological theological way, but like in a profound felt lived way. I need to feel myself as a member as is as a, a member of the body of Christ or as a member of the body of the universe, and right. that and that connection will transform the way that I interact with people and interact with the mm-hmm. world and interact with myself. Um, now, the, what that leads me to think is, you know, the Mormon, the Mormon shorthand is you take advantage of the atonement or you qualify for the atonement mm. to have its full effect on you versus you experience atonement. You, you're at one And it's related to that inner work that we have to do to uncover you know, what's been clouded over. And so um, the atonement theory that I think works best, and it certainly is in line with um, Lowell Banyan and yes. Eugene England and a lot of others. <laughs> Big fan. You guys, apparently I'm hitting some some spots that you guys are already in. <laughs> but maybe you, already talked, maybe you already talked about it, but it's the idea that I think the atonement, what, 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 when we don't feel atoned, it's our own doing, it's our own subjective problem, and therefore it has to have a subjective solution. And that means to me the experiential um, kind of learning it rather than like qualifying and I better do these things. Um, how do you experience it? Yeah. And like you say, it's a reconnection with everything. Yeah, no, I really like that idea of thinking of atonement as not some, not like an energy source that I'm borrowing from to to purify me, but something that already exists inside of myself that I just need help uncovering. Right. Mm -hmm. Because, you know, without even being aware of it, I am in relationship with everything. I am already connected. I just need to become more aware of that connection. So I love, I absolutely love that idea of atonement as something that is it's, you know, it's an unlearning process. It's, it's a healing process. It's an uncovering of something that's already inside of you. What Jesus was in an, in, in an incarnational sense was he was the, the human manifestation of the collapse of the sacred and profane. Right. Nice. And I love that idea because I want Jesus to be as human as possible, because that's what I am, right? That, you know, I want, I want, I want Jesus to have, you know, if we look, what was his first miracle? It was to keep a party going, (laughs) right? Um, And it was to keep a party going really well by, by, you know, by miraculously creating the best wine, not just any wine. It was the best wine. Um, You know, I want, I want a Jesus who had dusty feet, who like, you know, 
ate food because that's what he does all the time, right? Is he's he's always like, oh, you don't believe that I'm resurrected? Well, give me something to eat because <laughs> because I love eating, right? Because I I want a I want a Jesus that's earthy in the way that I'm earthy, that I'm made of material. And that not that that disqualifies Jesus from being divine, but what it does is it reveals that us in our own human bones and flesh are divine. And that's a profound awakening that Jesus was just trying to like help you realize that the kingdom of God or your own divineness is already there. Yeah. And it's one thing to talk about it and believe it intellectually. It's another thing to experience it. Yes. And, and so if, if I, a lot of listeners, a lot of my friends who, and other people who listen to my podcast will say, I've never had an experience like that. And, and um, my wife is one of those, but she's also has a diagnosed um, anxiety disorder. And I think she just can't relax into life and allow, 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 because she wants to control somehow things like that. And I'm, I don't think she would be mad at me sharing those <laughs> kinds of things, but all of us, we want to, we want to be in charge. And, uh, you know, the work that we have to do is actually surrendering. You know, that's the active work is to yield, to yield allow, to, to, the to surrender. The yeah, Spirit, yeah, the Holy Spirit. let yeah. virtue garnish your thoughts. Yep, yeah, exactly. It's a, it's a, yeah. It's a letting it's, go. Yeah. Um, no, so you're absolutely right. Um, that it's the experience, you know, this is more than just a theological concept. This is a, this is a felt embodied reality. Um, and so I think, you know, I w- thought we were going to talk about this later on, but I think it's really important. Like, I, I think we should talk about it now. Um, number one how can like, maybe, maybe we should uh, jump into, you know, experiences that we've had, if we've had any, um, and then jump, you know, finish on, um, or before we transition away from experiences is how can we put ourselves on the tracks or in the way of an experience like that? Right. Because I know you can't control an experience like that, but you can put yourself on the tracks, you know, more or less. So let's, Mm -hmm. let's, let's talk about, uh, you know, let's share experiences that we've had. (laughs) Okay, Let, I'm fine with that. Yeah. Uh, before you left the sacred and profane okay. uh, and collapsing it in his person and his self, what that is basically meaning is we we are the ones that determine something as sacred or profane, and we have these labels and things. And so you you know, you look at the Tao Te Ching. The Tao which can be named is not the eternal Tao, you know, and 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 basically naming or categorizing is basically the the origin of all particular things. Right. Uh, it's been too long since I, I read it, but it's like naming it, labeling it, and stuff like that takes you out of that that unit of experience. And so Rumi's favorite poem, you know, out out beyond the fields of right and wrong, or out beyond the places of right and wrong, there's a field. I'll meet you there. And then once you're there, you have no desire to talk, <laughs> you know, you, you, you know, cause words just don't, don't work and things like that when we're talking about it. So just whenever we talk about terms like what's taboo and what's not taboo, these are generally cultural accretions, but there are some things that will definitely, our spirit will know this isn't a, this isn't going to take me to greater growth it's not going to take me to greater experience. It's going to close down options and, and these different things. And so I'm not saying that there is no better or worse, you know, for you, but 
you know, it, it, it's not this, these, uh, these commandments, you know, it's the ideas behind these commandments and what right. they're all trying to get at. So anyway, but that's fine. And I just wanted to, before you left that one. Well, no, I but, think, I uh, think a, talk a, good, a good bridge from that idea to experience is that, um, you know, in the, I think it's the doctrine and covenants, but it says that the, the Holy ghost will, uh, will reveal to you things as they really are. Right. And, uh, you know, when, when we dress things up with labels of good or bad or, uh, left versus right, what we're doing is we're putting ideas or words or metaphors between us and reality. Um, mm. and so what, what essentially, you know, the Tao, you mentioned the Tao. I love the Tao for the listeners. You couldn't see, I was pumping my fist in the air <laughs> in the studio because I, I'm a huge fan of the Tao Te Ching. Um, but the, the Tao is reality at its core without mm. anything in the way within terms of like language or concepts, it's just reality. And so I think when we talk about these experiences, um, they're experiences with reality, the, you know, the most real that reality can, I mean, I know that sounds yeah. really weird, yeah. but as we have, as we, you know, share our experiences, I think it'll become a little bit more clear. Yeah, no, it's awesome. And and what is the master? You know, the Tao Te Ching talks about the master. And I like the translations that switch back and forth between feminine and male, yes. you know, pronouns and stuff for all that. But the master is the one that is aligned with it, that goes with the flow. You know, Wu Wei is a concept yes. in Taoism and things like <laughs> that, where you, again, you're just trying to allow, not get in the way, yeah. you know, be like water, you know you know, kind of stuff like that, that it's, it's just a real beautiful metaphor. And so, yeah. you know, for centuries and centuries, uh, there's this thing called the perennial philosophy that's been named as sort of this underlying insight that it seems like every tradition throughout history, especially in their contemplative ways, you know, all of them have a structure and an organization and, you know, just all these other kinds of things with it. But there's always mystics and stuff. And so no matter where you are in the world and at any time in the world, the key core stuff is what we're talking about here. Right. And, and it's there. And so, you know, I'm, I, I, if I were to leave Christianity, I would be a Taoist. Absolutely. Just, um, but, you know, I have had an experience of Jesus rescuing me, um, sort of, um, you know, I guess I can say saved, but it was in this way of like showing me that, oh, if this is God and God is like this, I can relate. I can, I can open myself to, uh, I can, I can, I, I'm worthy of, I'm worthy of this God's attention and love and, and those kinds of things. And that was a hard thing because I had had so many years of, um, you know, just basically throwing away every good, <laughs> you know, in terms of like good for me sort of uh, thoughts and, and actions and got, you know, stuck into cycles of drug abuse and various other uh, things. And so it was just so important for me to recognize, oh, I might be worth something after all. Uh, well, within, without further ado, let's, let's talk experiences then. Um, you guys go. Uh, all right. Not well, that mine will talk all years. <laughs> I'm just like, I've been doing all the damn talking. So. Let's end with Dan. Uh, Abby, 
No, you go first. Okay, man. I'll go first. <laughs> Set the tone for us. Prime the pump. Yeah. Okay, let's uh, let's begin. Um, so I mean, I've had I've had a couple of experiences, um, but I think the one that I always uh, come back to uh, is there was a, a summer three three or four years ago um, where I was kind of in the in the dark the dark zone of my, uh, of my own kind of faith journey. Um, I was, you know, I was at BYU, not that BYU created the faith journey, the faith crisis, but, uh, yeah. it was there alongside. Sure. Um, and, uh, and it's the appropriate age to have, yeah, you know, I was, start, you know, I was mid twenties, early twenties. Yeah. Um, yeah. and I, as I've, I've mentioned before, I'm a huge fan of Eastern, um, spirituality. And so I, uh, you know, I had kind of, I'd spent the summer, um, it, while I was in this really dark kind of faith crisis zone, um, I'd, I'd spent the summer reading through the, the classics of Indian spirituality. So I read the, the Bhagavad Gita, I read the Dhammapada, I read the Upanishads. Um, <clears throat> and this was back before I had really gotten into the uh, Taoism, but I was steeped in this spiritual system of, you know, reincarnation and that there's the, the Brahman, the quote unquote, the Brahman energy, which kind of has some parallels to this Christ energy that we've been talking about, um, which is the, the kind of the, the life energy or the intelligence or the consciousness that all things come from that we're all just individual drops of this, you know, this spirit ocean, right? This divine spirit ocean. So I was steeped in, in this kind of Eastern way of, of looking at the world. Um, and so that's kind of where my mind was, was it was thinking about lives and, and reincarnations and stuff. And not that I, you know, am, you know, a believer in that kind of stuff. Um, because I love what Mormonism has, <clears throat> but, uh, I was reading Aldo Leopold's, um, a Sam Kenny Almanac, uh, that summer as well. <clears throat> Sorry, clearing my throat. Um, and there is a chapter in there in the San County Almanac with Aldo Leopold, where he, uh, he describes an early morning walk through his, through his property where he says he takes out, he, he's got a notebook and a, and an empty mug in his, in his shirt pocket. And he's got a mug of coffee or a, a jug of coffee that he, he walks, um, he walks and takes notes in the early, early mornings on his, his property in, in, uh, the San counties in Wisconsin. And he describes all of the different birds calling out their claim on, what is what he supposes is his claim of his own territory of his own property. And he's, he's, he, the way that he speaks of the, of just these animals is as if the, their, their right and their claim on his land is, 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 is any right valid as his own. And, uh, you know, not that it was particularly the words, um, of this particular chapter, but it was the energy with which he was kind of talking about the universe. Um, was anyways, something it felt, I mean, I, I don't want to say it was a plunge into, cause it was not a plunge into mystical experience, but it was definitely like I skipped off the surface of a mystical, of the mystical pool. Right. Um, I, cause you know, during the summertime when you're in the grass or whatever, you'll, you'll all of a sudden you'll look on your, your, your finger or whatever. And there's like some red grass mite is on your finger. Um, and, or like an ant or, you know, some spider or whatever. Um, and I was, I put the book down and I just looked at this red mite on my finger and I just like, it was almost like I looked at it and I was, I, I, I had the experience of like knowing 
that the life that was in me was the exact same life that was in that. And that there was almost no, the only thing different between us was the physical forms that we inhabited were different. And I was at that moment, I was robbed of my violence towards the natural world. I was absolutely robbed of it. Um, like I, I, you know, was keeping a guard, I keep a garden every summer and there was grasshoppers out there on my garden. And, and instead of being upset at the grasshoppers, I just had this, like this easiness of heart that was just grasshoppers got to eat too. I mean, you know, I, you know, there, there's, there's just doing what they do and I can't hate them for doing what it is that grasshoppers do. Um, and, uh, and I just remember having this app, like having a knowledge in this, you know, uh, you know, beyond just the knowledge of the, the life that was in me was the same as the life in this little tiny mite on my finger, but it was that the universe was made of love on some level. And I don't, I don't know, you know, I don't know how that physically works out, but I, I had, you know, I know it in my bones that the, the fundamental particles of the universe are made up of love. And I can't tell you how I know that. I can't tell you, um, how that physically works, but I know that that's reality. Reality at its fundamental base is love. Um, and then kind of, you know, for a couple of weeks after that, I kind of, you know, like, even to this day, even I can't kill a housefly anymore. I have to catch the housefly and take it outside because <laughs> yeah. I mean, it requires about the same, same uh, amount of energy to, to catch it as to kill it. And so I thought I might as well just take it outside because it's only going to live for however, you know, like a week or whatever. It might as well enjoy its <laughs> life outside uh, <laughs> instead of being smeared across my window. Yeah. Um, yeah. But, but you still drive a car and all that stuff. Oh yeah. I mean, I still drive a car. Yeah, we're, yeah, not, yeah. we're not quite Janes, you know, yeah, we're, no, no. yeah, we're, yeah, no. Um, but I, that experience is just kind of solidified in my mind. Um, and the rest of that summer reading the sound County Almanac, that book was like scripture to me and that, you know, I, I definitely consider that book as, you know, as a, a sacred text to me at least, because it, it, it kind of occasioned this experience with reality that I will never forget. <laughs> Me next? Yeah, okay. you want to go? Yeah, sure, I can go. Um, mine is perhaps not as unique, maybe, um, but I think um, several years ago I started to have a lot of issues with my stomach and um, just like parts of my body did not feel as if they were fully functioning. Um, and while that's deeply personal, it was, it was something that informed a lot of different things that were happening in my life at the time. Um, and I felt so, uh, kind of disillusioned with, with the world outside of myself, that my, my, my body and these different things that weren't fully functioning, um, kind of hindered my ability to see beyond myself. Um, and there was one summer, um, kind of after maybe a year or two after this started, um, that I decided to take a kind of spontaneous trip with my friend. Um, and, and, you know, one stop on this particular trip was, um, in Lake Tahoe, um, in California. Um, well, I guess on the border of California and, and Nevada, um, and I had been there before, um, but I had never really explored that part of, of Tahoe um, to that extent, especially in the summer. Um, and we stopped and, and you know, took a little hike up um, 
uh, kind of on the side of, of one of these trails. Um, and it began to cloud over and, and it was very evident that it was going to storm. Um, and we didn't have much shelter. We were right by a lake. Um, there were large trees everywhere. Um, and f- for the first time again, you know, I felt kind of that, that electric sense of, um, almost magnetism from the storm that was heading in, um, and, and kind of very much recognized, um, the connection that I had to the rocks that I was sitting on and the trees that were around me. And there wasn't any fear, um, you know, even though we were probably in a precarious position, uh, being at the top of a mountain, um, you know, as a, as a lightning storm is rolling in and, and we just sat and watched the lightning strike, you know, various places kind of nearby, heard the thunder, um, and just so loud. It was so loud. Um, and, and almost the sound of the thunder kind of, uh, penetrating my heart. And it was, you know, the first time where my personal physical situation did not detract from, um, the elements that I was feeling and and my position on the earth. Um, and then we hiked down and ended up hiking down into, um, an area called Emerald Bay. And um, our car actually was going to run out of gas, so we didn't have enough gas to get to Emerald Bay and and stop there and and get out. Um, but it was very fortuitous, actually, that this had happened because we ended up stopping um, at just the right position um, where if we hiked down on our own, we could see a full um, kind of expansive look at Emerald Bay from above. Um and it just kind of reminded me of this idea um, within Wendell Berry, his his um, unsettling of America, where he talks about you know the connection of our body and the earth, and and the body being damaged by kind of the bewilderment of the spirit, and vice versa, um, and that you know if there's that that damage, then it kind of um, influences our bewilderment of the earth. Um, and in, in that particular moment, I just felt so connected to the earth. I've never had an experience like it where it almost transcended me, um, and, and made me so cognizant of the fact that I was part of the earth that even though, you know, I had kind of, um, constructed this position that I was in by hiking and experiencing these different things, I couldn't have, you know, allowed you know, constructed the, the storm that was above me. And, you know, the idea that we had to hike down in this one particular place. Um, and for me, it was a very centralizing and grounding experience of being able to understand those incarnational elements that were around me that I hadn't felt for so long because of my disconnection, um, and, and kind of those physical separations within my body. Wow. wow, Nate. Yeah, and Very these cool. are like these are markers in our lives, right? Yeah. You know, it's like you know that you know. It's like to Joseph. I know I had experience. God knew it, and you know I can't deny it. Yeah, they just become something that there's a before and an after. Yeah, experiences mm-hmm. like this that I love. Yeah, yeah. I've had five really wowy zowie kind of uh, spiritual mystical. You know where I'm just taken. Uh, you know I'm not in control. It's happening to me. Um, you know, 
I'm the passive person. In it. Right. But the the last two actually have been far more um, nature and interconnectedness related. So maybe I'll just share those two. Uh, in my doctoral dissertation, um, I wrote about a physicist named David Bohm, and he was working with a guy named Elaine Aspect, and basically what we now call quantum entanglement. Uh, they were experimenting with it, and I think they got up, they could prove it over 11 meters or something, you know, 30 wow. feet, you know, kind of thing. And, but yet it was showing that there's super luminary um, connection, I mean, faster than the speed of light, right? That there was, they're, they're fundamentally still paired no matter where, the, where they are. Kind of, kind of thing. And so I don't know if you guys remember, but in the, maybe you guys were probably just kids or like maybe like toddlers. But in the early 2000s or sometime around then, there was this report from, from Italy and Geneva that they sent some particles, you know, I can't remember how they sent them to, to Geneva, from Geneva to Italy, but it seemed like it arrived faster than the speed of light, you know? And so there was a lot of big buzz with it and they figured out later it was instrumental, but it caused me to go back to my dissertation stuff that I hadn't really thought about for a long, long time. And again, you know, quantum entanglement wasn't in the vocabulary at all. And so I just, you know, for a few weeks, it was just kind of fun to think about that and to kind of sit in that idea of, you know, just like everything is radically, you know, one sort of, and then I just sat down. I, w I wasn't planning on pondering it or whatever, but I, I swear the second my butt hit a cushion, I was interconnected with everything. I was, I was in and through and everything was in and through me. And I mean, I was seriously feeling like the most distant stars were as close as you know my own body kind of things and it was so wild and it, it's the hardest one of mine to sort of talk about because there's no categories for you know it's not like I dissolved because I was having an experience but it was it was like you and the and the the red mite or something. We right. are we are all it, and there's uh, you know this idea of distances and everything just sort of collapsed, and it you know just whatever the the web of life the yeah any of those kinds of things you know it's <clears throat> like it's like there is an experience that that I had, and so that one you know this is the mid you know early to mid uh, aughts the 2000 aughts. Um, but the one that's most profound uh, as far as, well, that's more profound a little bit, but the one that's more pure nature, this mysticism, is I had the chance to go to Antarctica and then Iguazu Falls in January of 2018. And, you know, spent down time on the peninsula, the Antarctic Peninsula, had this great experiences, you know, got to really see tons of things, including these amazing humpback whales that we were keeping pace with for hours and things. But, um, but then after Antarctica, we went to the falls, which are the largest falls in the world by volume. And we got there at, in an afternoon, and then we had two full days there, and then we flew out the next morning. 
And so that first night we went to, uh, you know, the one that they call, it's translates as the devil's throat. So it's like the, it's like the, the biggest one, the biggest drop. But then we did, there's an upper trail and a lower trail of, of the fall. So two different ways that you get different perspectives on it. And we did, we, we did both of those um, on that next day. But the third day that morning, my friend and I decided to walk backwards. So we were able to like, you know, it says don't enter here, <laughs> but we did because it was like right when the park opened and all that kind of stuff. And we just went down the trail. So we were basically by ourselves. And, um, and you know, Iwazu is basically a rainforest, you know, it's in the Argentine um, Brazilian border. And it is that full of sounds and smells and life and all that stuff. But we were just taking a rest one time. And all of a sudden, you know, I think I followed the sound, one of the sounds. But all of a sudden, I was like in the, it, it, I was in the nature. I wasn't separate from it. And I was having these experiences like where in my mind, I was kind of able to now I'm going to hear the the legs of the spider on their net wow. because they have these big big spider webs with a you know a spider that's you know with with the legs it's about the size of the palm oh of your hand gosh. and they're everywhere and they're glisten <laughs> they're glistening in the morning dew and things like this and stuff but I was able to like tune into that I was able to tune into uh, the birds that were calling I was able to tune into the the falls and it was like a, a unitive nature experience that it was just so freaking overwhelming that, you know, I finally caught on to what nature mysticism was because I hadn't, you know, I hadn't grown up with all the experiences in nature to where that's where I go to refresh or anything like that. But it was just being around so much life that sort of just let me melt. It, somehow it, you know, I just melted into, into it all with, with my own consciousness, but I, I was with them. It's with everything, the insects and everything. I, uh, I want to tie this back into, you know, some of the conversation that we were having earlier that I think, you know, these are, these are universal experiences, right? That these are not experiences that that can only be had inside of a temple inside of, you know, the, the celestial room or whatever, right? That these are experiences that are universal in nature and that, that any person on earth can have these kinds of experiences and it doesn't matter who you are or how good you are, right? You can just, you, these experiences are available. Um, and, uh, and that they're not limited to, you know, obviously our experiences were kind of in nature or, um, yeah. you know, some yeah. of these things that we named, but they're not limited to that, that we're not restricted to those experiences solely exactly. in our experience with nature or in our Was interactions. Was Thomas Merton yeah. on the, uh, in New York or, or something? Yeah, yeah. It's Louisville, Louisville, Kentucky. Louisville, yeah. 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 Um, but that I think, you know, the, this, to tie it back into kind of the central Mormon idea of the light of Christ, right? We read in Doctrine and Covenants 88 that the light of Christ is in and through all things, right? It is, you know, the, 
it's the it's in the light of the the sun, the light of the moon. If you've seen the earth rolling on her wings, then you've seen God moving in His majesty and power, right? Um, and it's also uh, central to kind of LDS uh, cosmology that every human on earth has the gift of the light of Christ, right? Um, and that this is not something that is especially unique to us in a community, um, but that what this experience is is at least in my, in my view is, is experiencing the divine reality of all things. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's experiencing God. So like, if I could rewrite section 88, if I was given the pen, right, it wouldn't be just Mm -hmm. like, if you see the earth moving in his majesty, it's, if you experience the earth moving in his majesty, you've experienced God moving in his majesty and power. Right. Um, and that, that I just, I'm so like, this is such a central piece to my own experience of being not just a, not just a Mormon, but also a Christian and also a human being on earth is the reality of the, the quote unquote incarnated or infleshed, immaterialized divine presence in all of, in all of the universe. And that's just like, that's almost a hinge point in my mind of how I understand myself in my context. So I want to make sure that we tie that back in that this isn't, you know, on one level, while it is a kind of a universal experience, it also has tremendous roots inside of our own Mormon tradition. Yeah. Now the problem is when you bring up the light of Christ in church, (laughs) most people are ready just to limit it to our conscience, right? That the ability to know right from wrong because it's, you know, in us and through the spirit. And it's almost like a universal Holy Ghost kind of thing for Mormons. For Jiminy Cricket. Yeah, right. (laughs) Nice. I like it. But it is this more profound thing. And so um, there was, uh, I made hay, a lot of hay with Section 88 in my my dissertation. And there's like, there's all these these you know things like light cleaves to life light and justice and love to love and i can't remember how it all goes but all of a sudden it's talking objectively and it's about you know these things these categories or whatever but then the very next time it goes it's we and we are in you know it, it, it was like this all of a sudden we're going from the abstract to the personal and oh, I, I can find it and send you guys the the, the scripture or whatever, but that was like uh, that was like a big fundamentally. It's almost like that's a mystical scripture, and you're not going to get it, you know, with your head. I mean, you'll get some content in it, but it is it is that melting of our individuality into the all things and so ultimately i i kind of just named the light of christ i i just said the light of christ is the name we give to this fundamental and radical interconnectedness absolutely i think when i when i made that connection when i made that connection that this you know the the cosmic christ or the brahman whatever or the tao exists within mormonism it just we the language we we use for it is the light of christ and i just don't think we're mature enough as a tradition yet to have fully developed what exactly it is we we have. <laughs> right. And again, not everybody's ready for it yeah. and things like this. But what I what I worry about is those who are called, they feel the call to this, to this more expanded view of themselves and of the world and all these things. But they're worried uh, about fear of how their families or others will will you know take them. 
um, you know, you're, you're, you're going beyond what the prophet said, you know, and there's this, there's this, this confidence that comes again, experientially, that I think is the only way that most people will kind of find a way to embrace the journey that sort of um, is more likely to lead you to those sorts of, of experiences and that kind of uh, direct knowledge. Well, I just am thinking back to the idea of low versus high Christology too, and and just kind of thinking about perhaps the importance of maintaining that low Christology in that sense, because that way, you know, we're able to understand Christ as connected to us, like you brought up at the very beginning. Um, but just th- that more, you know, having that idea that he was part of us and that he can continue to be part of us through his His shared humanity rather than that perhaps divinity. Um, and I think that that distinction can perhaps help us better understand, you know, those those experiences that maybe um, go beyond just the right and the wrong and, and perhaps some of those easier detected kind of um, placements of Christ within our life. But, you know, testing our, our limits and the things that we believe um, through our understanding of, you know, literally what would Jesus do as a human versus, you know, what, how would Christ save me in this situation? Yeah. Or how is it that Christ, what's the nature of Christ's love? Yeah. You know, rather than just, he loves us, you know, cause yeah. you know, it's, it's, we can just, we can go so, so low level mm-hmm. on all these rich, rich things that again, with, when you're, when you're dealing in the DNC there, it is so symbolic. You know, Joseph Smith was like, especially that first part is like, he called it the olive leaf because it's like, where the heck did this come from? But it brought <laughs> peace, you know, to me and things like that. And it's, it's like, so he was, it was written in that mystical mode that caught up into it. And so um, all this stuff is everywhere but we just don't notice it because we're worried about our salvation rather than our, our healing or, our you know, recognizing really the, the deeper stuff. 